Hello and welcome to the First Day in Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. Folks, we are back with another interview. You know, we keep getting them. People either really like coming on the show or we're just very persistent people. But today, folks, I got a really special interview for you guys today. Samuel, how are you doing today, man? I'm very good. Thank you, Tobias. How about yourself? I am doing great, man. Folks, this is Samuel Orem Jones, former USC Trojan. You know, we're here in Buckeye country. We're Ohio State fans, but we have some respect for you, Trojans. So, Man. You've got one of us over there, Parker, Parker Lewis. I think you're kicking right now. He came from us last year, big boy. Hey. He's a great guy. I'm, hey, we'll take anything you guys give us. You guys are looking pretty good. You guys just blew out Fresno State last night. So it's Yeah, I was there. I was at the game. Yeah, yeah. They, we're looking really good on offense. A few of the guys there, actually. Drake was there. Uh, I know Tyler Bournes was up in the stands. So a few of us were at the game. Uh, it's looking like a great team this year. No fight on Trojans, man. They, they're going crazy. And you say Drake is, if we're not all going to acknowledge, that's Drake London, the man who I believe just caught a touchdown today. Correct. Yeah, yeah, he just did. I think he just got his first uh, since he's been in the NFL. And he's, he's a guy. I know he's playing here. So him and Desmond Ritter on the sideline last night just uh, saying hey to a few of the boys, you know, catching up and uh, preparing themselves for the game the next day. I think he showed up for the first call, which is cool. You know, and I, I have to get into your football journey because it's a truly special one. Um, you, you're, you're not from America. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm certainly not. Absolutely. So, tell us a little bit. Where'd you grow up, and how'd you come to the game of football? So, well, yeah, that's an interesting one. I grew up uh, in the United Kingdom um, my whole life, effectively. And uh, between the, I, I didn't start football until very late. Um, between the age of eight and eighteen, I was uh, I was a racing driver, and that was my primary focus in life, beside education, uh, which of course is very important. And uh, I played my first football game when I turned 19, which for most American guys, that's like some guys, it's their sophomore year in college. So I played my first game in the UK at, uh, at 19, and I took it up at university, at Durham University, when I went to a, a sports fair there, because I'd just recently been told, like, the racing has come to an end. And, uh, you know, uh, having been through sports so much my whole life, I thought, I, I simply cannot let it go. I can't let sport go as part of my identity. And I know I can perform at a high level with whatever I do. So I took up American football. I turned up to the tryouts. A few of the guys there are American scholarship athletes uh, that had come over from the U.S. to play in the U.K. when they had exhausted their eligibility uh, in the NCAA. Uh, one of the guys was Saitu Smith, the second, who, who went on. He became a coach of the Browns. He was a coach at Yale, Dartmouth afterwards. So he's a, he's a real guy. And he took me under his wing, uh, along with another guy called John Taggart. And they just said, hey, look, we'll show you the ropes of running back. And I get into the game there in England uh, in my second year playing. Uh, I'm just turned 20. We're playing against grown men. Many of these guys are American scholars, you know, 26, 27 years old. They've got kids. They've got wives there with them. You know, I score the game-winning touchdown in the national championship game to win the national championship over in the UK. And I'm like, right, maybe it's time to get to get overseas, to get to the US. And, yeah, everything kind of took a, took a swell from there. And uh, I, I end up here in Los Angeles a few years later. You know, and you talked about that racing career. It, it was a pretty good one. You raced with some guys who uh, are making some pretty nice money now there with Formula I, I would, Oh, for sure. I, I would say that in terms of my close competitors or teammates, uh, now and within the next five to ten years, we'll probably make up more than half of the Formula One grid and a lot of the IndyCar grid and of some of the lower formulas. Even guys that, that have won lower formulas in uh, 
uh, having got to F1 year, I raced beside and I'm like, oh, I know how good this guy is. I was teammates with Robert Schwartzman, who just did very well in F2. And uh, I know he's, he's going to be in F1 soon enough. And DeVries just got his F1 shot. He's very good. Albin is the same. Verstappen was teammates with me. Russell was teammates with me. Leclerc was teammates with me. They were doing very well for themselves. So, you know, uh, Norris was teammates with me. They were all doing very well. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm happy for them. Always good to see your teammates succeed. You know, you're doing very well yourself, too. So you do come to America. Um, you uh, get yeah. down into SEC football right away down there in yes. Vanderbilt. What was that down like? Down south. Well, it was a, I would say it was a whirlwind going to Vanderbilt. So um, many Americans, I'm sure, will know when they send their kids to high school, 24-7, rivals, all these boys, you know, you got your kid on the, uh, on the website, you got the stars next to your name, this and that. Europe doesn't really have that. Or it didn't at the time. There's some stuff coming up now in Europe that is trying to help guys come across to the US, like PPI recruits and, uh, and, and Euro players. But at the time, it didn't really exist. So I had I had nothing to go off apart from the fact that I had won the collegiate championship, national championship at my level. And I learned very quickly when I came over to Vanderbilt and tried to walk on, it didn't mean a whole lot uh, to American staff. Uh, they just said, you know, we get you played football in Europe, bro, but like, this is America. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a different deal. You know, you might think you can play, but you can't. And um, even getting myself through the door at Vanderbilt was a very, very tough time. I would say it was one of the hardest experiences I've had in football since I've started playing. Uh, when I came to Vanderbilt and showed them what I did and, and tried to get through to the office, I couldn't really get past the front desk. And the director of player personnel you know, kind of looked through all my stuff and told me, like, Hey, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. You know, we've, we, we're good. We might give you a call at, uh, for tryouts in February, which never happened. Uh, so <laughs> very politely, just thanks, but no thanks. So I, I was in a bad place at that time. And I had to figure out, figure out a way to get around that situation. Which is ironic because you ended up on top anyway. You come out to Southern California, you go Absolutely. out to USC, and you do make it at USC. Can you talk about what that feeling was like when you found out Hey, I'm a Trojan. Oh, I mean, USC is a massive, massive program. And um, the biggest word I could use for it is surreal. I would say uh, when I was there at USC, it's surreal being around the quality of guys I'm around because I, many of them are in uh, the NFL now and I'm going against these guys every day in practice. You know, Talanoa, Tonga, Drake Jackson, all these boys on defense. I've got to come up and Kanai Moaga is really good. I was over at the Broncos for camp uh, and – the whole thing was surreal because I remember watching these guys on TV when I was in the UK or watching YouTube videos. And I was like, oh, wow. I can't even imagine being there and wearing the jersey. At the time when I'm playing in the UK and some of my teammates said, I, I will give anything just to, just to wear the Division One jersey, just to be on the sideline would be completely fulfilling for me. And it wasn't until I came over here, I realized like it's not the case at all. And I, I'm, I need to achieve far more than that. And I just had this urge to, to do far better than <laughs> Being at the Trojan was crazy. Uh, the last game of the year last year was against Cal. And a few years before, I had traveled to California uh, towards Berkeley in San Francisco on a work visit. And I had bought a Cal shirt. And I still have that Cal shirt because they were selling them on all the sides. And I was like, oh, wow. Can you imagine being part of a football program in the U.S.? It would be so cool. I got my Cal shirt. I don't even go there. Everyone's like, oh, did you go to Cal? I'm like, no. And then... Three years later, I'm on the sideline just for the uh, just for USC. It's kind of wild. You know, and you talked about the talent you played with at USC. Like you said, a lot of those guys are in the NFL. That is now the goal for you is to continue the pro career 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is that looking like for you? I know that there was some CFL stuff, some workouts and everything coming up, obviously. Absolutely. CFL as well. So what's that look like for you? Absolutely. Uh, at the moment, um, I mean, everything's up in the air being a free agent. You know, you can get the call on a Monday and you have to be ready to go on a Tuesday. And uh, the goal for me is the NFL. There is no doubt about that. The, the NFL international program works with a lot of international guys and tries to help them and, and bring them over. And I've not been uh, fortunate enough to, to be put in a position with them yet to, to come through their program. But some guys that I played against in the UK and that I beat in the UK have been selected and, you know, have been assigned to team. So, um, should I be fortunate enough, I could go that route. But uh, at the moment, I- I'm keeping on top of training. I mean, um, I train down at Joe Perez's place here in Orange County, and he's very famous. He's trained a lot of great running backs, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell, you know, Maurice Jones-Drew. He's been through all these guys. He really knows his stuff, putting together programs for running backs. And I- I- I'm on the top of my trainer. I think I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my life. I'm, I'm in better shape than I was at USC, at Vanderbilt. Uh, and, you know, I- I'm ready to go. I-, I have my agents working as hard as they can for me. And um, the real thing is just staying on top of everything. I put out whatever I can media-wise to show coaches, to show any onlookers, like, I'm ready to go. I'm in shape. I still weigh 205 pounds. I'm, I carry it very well. I'm ready to, to hang on to the ball, <laughs> you know, against, against some real grown men out there. And uh, all I can do is put myself in a position to make plays in, in that regard and to, for someone to make a play on me. And when the call comes, you know, I'm going to be completely ready. And where that call comes from anywhere, I, I, I'm good with that. Uh, I, I'm sure I'm ready to explore whatever football opportunities are necessary to get to the end goal, which is the NFL. You know, when you talked about training, you know, we all think about when it comes to football, all you lift weights, you run, but not at all. What 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 does your training look like right now to stay in shape? Of course. Well, if you want to know, yeah, okay. We can talk training schedule. At the moment, I'm doing some combine-specific training, so it's a bit ramped up. But, uh, you know, wake up Monday morning have to do your stretches, stretches, yoga in the morning, immediately drive to training. Training will be, uh, on Monday, we'll do uh, either position-specific work at the moment or rapid response work, followed by an upper body lift. Both of these will take about an hour and a half. To do. The lift is slightly short, maybe the lift takes an hour. But you're there for two and a half hours in the gym, immediately leave, have to eat, go home, do your recovery. We're talking band stretches. We're talking more yoga. We're talking uh, cycling to get rid of lactic acid uh, and <laughs> just generic, uh, to be fair, generic uh, recovery methods for the next hour or two. And then that's your Monday. And then Tuesday is a two-day training day. So we're talking, wake up in the morning, do the same stretches again in the morning, go to train. This time it's linear speed on a Tuesday. We're talking, let's work out 40 time. We either work in our acceleration phase or our, our uh, top speed phase. Uh, we will switch between Tuesday and Thursday with that. That's linear training in the morning. In the morning, it will be all of the heavyweight, all the sled pushes, all the heavyweight stuff. We will go then on a Tuesday into explosive lower body lift. Once explosive lower body lift is done, go home, eat, get the recovery, and then immediately leave the house again to go and run sprints outside uh, on a Tuesday afternoon. We're talking getting your time 10s, your time 20s, and your time 40s to make sure you're where you need to be. And then we'll work a bit of technique, maybe some A-skips and A-runs for for longer stretches, depending on what day it is uh, or what week it is. Monday, uh, Wednesday, same thing again. Wake up in the morning, core corrective exercises at the, at the gym, get done with that. Wednesday is an easier day because Monday and Tuesday are so hard. And then Thursday and Friday is an exact copy of Monday and Tuesday, except that maybe you change a couple of the drills up in the position-specific stuff. But the linear speed stuff, for the most part, is exactly the same. So you're really pushing it. And then Saturday, you'll go ahead, uh, go on your own and just do complete, uh, no lift, but just uh, maybe some three-cone drills 
possession specific stuff that you could be asked to do at a tryout. Be in effect be ready to be to, to go at a tryout. And the six day training week has to stay the same every week because if a team pulls you up, you're going to be asked to train six days a week or be ready to go. And so you have to be completely ready in that regard when you're not signed to to do exactly that because the team's going to expect you to keep yourself in professional shape if they're going to sign you. So, you know, and that's what I think people don't understand is when you're talking about being a professional athlete, you know, your body is your way of making money oh, at that point. So. Your, your body is your job. Your body yep. is your job. Some of these guys, uh, LeBron James uh, spends, what, a million dollars every year on his body. Blaise Campbell spends up with $100,000 on his body. I, I can't imagine how much Russell Wilson spent. You've got to pour a serious time, effort, and resources into your body if you want to stay in, in shape to be an athlete at that level. And a lot of guys do. And they stay in shape for a while. And I've seen it happen to guys where they say, okay, well, I haven't got the call. I'm going to stop. And then two weeks later, they get the call. And now I'm not in shape like I was. And I'm not ready for the trial in the way that I was. So you have to stay ready. You know, and I want to ask you too, because a lot of people sleep on the film room. Um, I'm assuming you getting a late start to the game of football. I have a feeling tape and film, you were probably grinding it pretty hard. Tape and film was a huge part for me. So when I came to the U.S., I was surprised at how nonchalant some guys were uh, in my running back rooms with watching film or taking notes and things of that nature. Um, I, I still have all of my notebooks from Vanderbilt and all of them from USC, and I write down the date and time of every single thing a coach has ever said to me in the running back room, specifically. And if any, you know, a head coach comes in one day and says, oh, what does, what does the coach, uh, you know, uh, when I was at Vanderbilt, uh, <laughs> what did our running backs coach tell us is important to do on the day and it was like a plan execute and perform or something like that and i can read it go into my book open it up and tell you the exact date and time and coaching center what we were talking about at the time and so on and so forth so film study and note taking for me was one of the most important things i did when i came to you absolutely everything you know and you played at usc so you played with a guy named keaton slovis who is now the quarterback Peter. what Tell us about Keaton a little bit, because I think he got a bad rap. You know, Caleb Williams transferred in, and Caleb Williams is by far a legit quarterback, but Keaton can definitely hold his own. Fill us in a little bit on him. The interesting thing with this is um, Keaton is Keaton is special. But the thing uh, at USC, a lot of guys are special. Um, and, and to be fair, even before that, that I played with, I played with some guys in, in Europe that were special, um, Kenya Allen and, and guys like that who now play professional in Germany. I came over with Keaton. Keaton can spin the ball. He throws a very, very soft, catchable ball. One of the most soft and catchable balls I've, uh, I've ever caught from any quarterback. He's very, very good at throwing the ball on target precisely. He'll put some air under it. He's very receiver-friendly, I would say, in that regard. You know, the guy for sure is special. Having said that, I say he is special. And there is a bunch of special guys in that room. Uh, Mo Zahn, who came over from Vanderbilt. I play with the guys like an athletic freak in terms of being a dual threat quarterback. He's like 6'4". The guy can sling it too. Matt Fink, who was at USC with us, he can sling the ball. Like That guy has fantastic decision-making. He came in, won a few games for USC when he was asked to. Uh, and then Caleb Williams, obviously, who's doing special things there at the moment, is, is also going crazy. So all of these guys in their own right are very special players. And I feel like uh, USC is such a great program. You're going to attract special guys like that to your program that are going to want to play uh, with the Trojan, uh, Trojan logo on that helmet. You know, and I want to talk a little bit about the coaching you got at USC because USC has had some just elite coaches in their time, you know, whether it was Pete Carroll in the early 2000s, you know. Absolutely. Sark, you know, Clay Helton, he gets a bad rap. Clay Helton is a brilliant offensive mind. I will, I will 
I will die on that hill that Clay Helton knows what he's doing as a as a offensive minded football coach. Can you tell Absolutely. me what it was like being coached by his staff and just some of the coaching you got? I, I tell you what, Clay Helton uh, pays a lot of attention to detail, and he's he's very big on energy. So I, I loved playing under Clay Helton. I think that Clay and, and same with to be fair, Derek Mason was very similar back at Vanderbilt. But I love playing under uh, uh, Coach Clay Helton. He's a very personable individual, and I would say that he's for sure a player's coach. I, I can see it would be very easy if I was a recruit coming up from high school and I meet with Clay Helton and, you know, he talks to my family or he talks to us. He really, he wants you to do well at an individual level. We'd be running there at, uh, at summer camp and I've not seen it really like this before, but the head coach at summer camp will come out and he's dabbing up all the guys, you know, individually going to them, asking them how their summer was, you know, go crazy today. You know, glad to have you back from injury. If the guy's going back from injury, I want you to do well. And he really does want the best for all of his guys. And you said you were at the game last night, correct? The Fresno State game? I was. Yeah, yeah, I was. So what is the vibe like around USC? It feels like the Trojans are legit Pac-12 champion contenders, national title contenders. What's the the vibe like this year? For sure. In my opinion, it's going to be very difficult for any team to beat them this year. I look at the schedule ahead of them, and I think to myself, I, I don't know who is going to beat this team. I can't see any area of distinct weakness within the team. They're, they're very strong in many areas, and in some areas, they're exceptional, such as the receiver room. The receiver room is so deep that there's guys that do not get that much playing time that could sit on NFL rosters or NFL practice squad. For sure. In my opinion, it has to be the deepest receiver room in the nation. It's going to be very tough for anyone to stop the aerial threat of that team. Having said that, the guys, Darwin Barlow, you know, Travis Dye, Luke Brown, Austin Jones, uh, Brandon Outlaw, they're all going crazy in the running back room. The guys ran for like over 200 yards last night just on two running backs, and they're leading the way. And that's the old school USC. It used to be run first. So uh, for me, I'm struggling to see where we're going to get beat. The team has one of the best offensive lines in the country. There's guys on the defensive line that will start anywhere in the country. You take Tuli off that defensive line, he starts at Bama tomorrow. He's very, very good. That's incredible. You know, and that's what we know. One of the things I brought up in the offseason with USC was everyone was talking about Caleb and Jordan Addison transferring in, and everyone slept on Travis Dye. Travis Dye had a very impressive career at Oregon. And, you know, he's reinventing, you know, USC has had running backs. You know, you talked about Reggie Bush, Glendale White, getting back to that running game. What was it like, though, being a running back at USC during the, you know, kind of air raid system that they had under Clay air Hill. raid to be honest all we did you know um graham harrell was the offensive coordinator and we were so stacked on the team the idea was that if we just execute and do our individual job we're going to be good so uh, you know when i came in it didn't really matter to us whether we were going to be run first or pass first or whatever we were going to do so long as we did our job we were going to win whoever we played against and if we were just unfortunate in a few games we didn't execute in the way that we should have on offense. And, and perhaps, you know, that led to guys getting in the head and then one bad thing happens after another and things snowball out of control, you know, when it rains, it pours kind of thing. And in terms of being in the air raid offense, the deal was every single day, just get on with your job. And the good thing about being in the air raid offense, I feel like a lot of running backs in college are not asked to catch the ball that much. At USC in practice, we run routes just like the receivers every single day. We're asked to catch the ball every single game. So... When it comes to the next level, pro uh, pro level, you know, r- running out of the backfield, catching routes out of the backfield, is not going to be a problem for guys to come out of USC. 
and that's a bigger part of today's game. They're asking running backs to catch out the backfield. It's, it's a much bigger part of this game, almost as a fifth receiver in many instances when they go five wide. You know, and that's one thing you touched on. Your ability to be able to run routes and catch out of the backfield is going to be big for any team that takes a shot on you. The other thing with you, when you guys pass so much is pass pro. Can you speak about Absolutely. pass pro as a running back? Oh, for sure. I mean, pass pro as a running back, that's how you make your money. You know, you have to protect the guy back there. You know, you, especially you got Keaton Slovis there. You're going to your, let your Heisman uh, Trophy winning quarterback get hit. No, absolutely not. Now they've got Caleb Williams back there. You're going to get your Heisman Trophy winning candidate get hit. Absolutely not. Pass pro is going to be a big part of the game. Um, in terms of putting pass pro on tape, you know, all you got to do is, for me, give 100% effort. You give 100% effort, you give the QB the extra second he needs to get the ball out. In the NFL, that's the difference between a play and no play because the, the margin of error is so small, especially at the pro level. At a high school, you can get away with it a bit more. There's a bit more time to serve at the field and so on and so forth. And in college, a bit less. But at the pro level, we're asked to pass, uh, pass I would say so, all the time at this. And it's going to for sure translate to the pro level because they, the teams are going to ask you to do that unless you're just a third down back and all you do is catch on the field. More often than not, uh, that is not the case. You know, and I have to ask you, you know, a lot of guys when they watch film, they might look at a running back and try and emulate certain things from them. Is there any running backs that when you were picking up the game that you watched and tried to run like? I would say in terms of when I picked up the game, originally I was a huge fan of Mark Ingram. Because I'm built in a similar way. I think Mark Ingram's about maybe an inch taller than me, maybe three or four pounds heavier. But we're both quite uh, shorter, stockier backs, which is a more traditional runner back. And there's the, the one I like. And uh, I just like he runs with an aggressive nature. He runs angry. Uh, I coached Tim Horton at Vanderbilt, used to tell us. And um, he, he holds his reach safe, which is uh, something that I run a bad coach at USC to, uh, to tell us. And I, I like the way he runs the ball. Having said that, when I came over to the U.S. and I started training in South Florida to prepare myself for the pros uh, a couple of years back, and again last year, I did a lot of training, especially one-on-one -on -one with Frank Gore, who's obviously the third leading rusher in NFL history. And uh, taking a lot from his game, the biggest thing I learned from him is always moving forward. I would do a lot of jump cut drills, cut drills with coaches in college, and we would always be cutting laterally. And I would go to Frank and we would train, and I would try cut laterally, and he would stop the entire drill and be like, what are you doing? Never cut laterally. You're always moving forward because the difference between here and a yard from here is, is hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in pro football. It's everything in pro football. You can lose a game by a yard. If you jump cut and completely narrowly and not taking that yard of space, you know, that's the difference between winning and losing a game at the pro level because the, the margin of error is so much smaller. There's you know, and Frank Gore is a perfect person to learn that from because Frank Gore made sure. his career on halfback dives for three yards at a cloud of dust. I mean, that man is the perfect example of you don't need to move lateral if you can just uh, run people over. Yeah, get downhill. Get downhill, pick up yard. And he's doing it very well. His son, who takes after him, is doing it very well at Southern Ridge right now. And, uh, you know, I was very privileged to be, to be coached up uh, by Franklin, to be like, mentored by Frank in that way. And I've learned a great deal from him. And I'm, I'm looking forward to repaying him by putting that on tape in a professional capacity uh, very soon. And Samuel, we've got just a couple more questions for you, man. I appreciate you. No, no, please. It's no, 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 absolutely. Last. It's my pleasure. I promise you. So I got to ask because, you know, on our show, we work with a lot of small college prospects normally. We usually, absolutely. you know, you, I will be honest, you are our first power five prospect that we've had on the show. I'm happy to be here. No, I'm yeah. glad. So you glad are groundbreaking for us too. We've uh, primarily a lot of D2, D3 guys, but you are an international prospect. And I know a lot of people here – 
football from another country and they go, well, oh, you know, like you said with Vanderbilt, they were like, well, this is American football. What yeah, can you tell yeah, us yeah, about European football to help people realize you guys oh, Okay, I can talent. tell you this. There's some guys that can play in Europe. The first thing that shocked me when I came over to Vanderbilt was getting on the practice field, finally practicing with the guys and looking around and saying, I've played with guys better than this or that could play here, like with no problem whatsoever. At the moment, there's a professional league that runs in Europe and there's guys from the US that will come over to continue staying in, uh, in shape. And Kavante uh, Turpin, who just signed for uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys, played in uh, Poland for the, the Panthers uh, just a year ago. And a year later, he, he does the USFL thing and then he goes and now he's doing his thing in the NFL. So there's some guys in Europe that can play, especially from an athletic standpoint, even if they don't know the game as much, especially in the heart of Central Europe, the big boys on the line, there's some meatheads in Europe who can just throw bodies around like no one's ever seen. And a lot of these European guys now, especially the younger ones, uh, getting into a place where uh, companies are starting to take them over and bring them over to the US. And they'll go and do a bunch of camps and rack up a bunch of offers. And the NFL Academy in, in England is also trying to help them there, which is fantastic. Unfortunately, it didn't exist for me when I went to university. So I had not had that opportunity. But since, uh, it certainly has. You know, and one guy that we recently had on the show, uh, Tommy Oje, he's a tight end. He actually went over to start his pro career in Austria and yep. has since gone on. He was in fan-controlled football, doing some XFL workouts. So Europe, like you talked about, is a great springboard for a lot of guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. The main thing is, especially for guys uh, like me, that you know, you're trying to land your pro shot, it is professional football. It is professional football in Europe. Once you step into that league or, or you do something like that in Europe, no one can ever take that away from you. You're a professional football player, be it overseas or in the U.S. And you can come back to the U.S. and say, look, to whoever I'm trying to get uh, hired by, I am a professional football player. A lot of guys, especially that come out of a small school here in the States, struggle uh, with, with NFL guys or with USFL guys or XFL guys because there, there is for sure a, uh, how, how to put it, there is for sure a benefit or a, a value placed on being part of a big main school. Absolutely being. Uh, similarly, uh, if you were, say, to play in Europe, there's a value being placed on being an American, even if you're not a big football. So a lot of these guys from uh, from Europe, can they can certainly benefit from being, being in the US or being a big school, but there's still places to go and play pro in Europe and then come over. It is very possible. You know, and I have to ask you, you grew up in the UK. Did you have a Absolutely. favorite American team growing up? Was there a football no, team you matched on to? Absolutely. No. I was all F1. I was all motor racing. I was with McLaren. I did not know the game of football. I mean, I, I knew what it was. I knew what the Super Bowl was. I never watched one. Uh, but I, I, I knew what the game of football was. But I never knew any of the rules or anything like that until I turned elite 18. And I was in university for my freshman year of college. And I went to the tryout. Before I went to the tryout, I looked up all the rules. You know, this is a first down. This is running the ball. I didn't know what position I wanted to play. I didn't know what position I should play, what I am built for. I had absolutely no idea what to win. The guys uh, at Durham, where I went to university in the UK, kind of picked out for me and said, oh, you should be there to play running back. And a few years later, now I play running back at, at USC. <laughs> so I have to ask you, this is the final question we have for you, but I want to – We end every interview with it. If you could give advice to, you know, a teenage running back, you know, so high school age here – what would you tell them about, you know, pursuing opportunities at the next level and just how to keep themselves mentally and physically ready for that? I would say in terms of keeping yourself physically ready, the physical is easy. Anybody can get up in the morning and, and go and run or go and work out or go and lift. That is easy. 
I'll be completely honest with you. The hard thing is wanting to do that or being mentally ready to do that, especially in the face of coaches who tell you, I don't care for what you do, which, is, which happens a lot more often than it does not happen. And a lot of people don't understand that because you don't hear about guys that get shut down by coaches. You don't hear about guys that get bigged up by coaches. And mentally for me, uh, the big thing is just finding your why. A lot of guys and motivational speakers will talk about that. But for me, it's very important. If you know your reason why you're playing football, why you have to succeed, you're not going to let anything stand in the way of that. And it's the case for me. You know, I have a very strong why, why I have to succeed, why I wanted to be a racing driver so bad. And, and I can't let that go. And I, I can't simply just be another guy working and whatever and take my degrees and go and, and be that. I have to be a high-performance athlete and I have to achieve everything I set out to achieve. And uh, if, if kids, uh, you know, here in the U.S. and high school guys understand that, there's nothing that can stop them from getting what they want to do. Even if they don't get a scholarship offer out of high school and they go to whatever university, you can walk on. You can find a way to walk on. I'm a guy from Europe. I was turned away several times from, from Vanderbilt University and I had to stop the head coach on the way to his car at 11 o'clock at night, you know, after the end of the full camp practice to get a tryout. And even that tryout, they did not want me on the team. They just ran me through the ringer, you know, to see if I would just give up and, you know, this kid's going to leave us alone now. If you know your reason why and you're not ready to give that up, then you, know, you can go and play wherever you want. You can go and achieve whatever you want to achieve. And then for European, I mean, European guys are a bit different. Guys come from Europe. If I had advice for anyone coming from Europe and they want to come and play in the US, my best advice would be just get to the United States at the earliest possible time. Get your foot on the ground in the States. If I played even a semester of high school football here in the States, my college experience would have been completely different. Completely different if I had had a style or two attached to my name. But I will tell you, I think that the path you took is perfect for you because talking with you, reading your story, getting to know you a little, you are a competitor, you have drive, oh, and you want to compete. I think it's going to benefit you, whatever team, whatever league gives you that opportunity. They're going to get a fighter and someone who is not going to just fold at the first sign of trouble. No, no, I'm not folding at all. And I'm very excited for myself, and I'm very excited for people to see what I'm going to put on tape when I do get signed. And it will happen because I have to make it happen. And, so folks, that is all we've got for you guys, man. Samuel, you have been an absolute blast to talk to, man. I've absolutely loved it. Please stay in touch. Let us know what's going on, man. We can't wait to get you back on, and we can't see wait to see where you land. Uh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you, man. Well, folks, that's all we got for you guys today. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. But until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.